do know that song, The Great Redeemer? How many of you, this is a childhood classic, anybody? This is, for me, the, the church that I grew up in, this is a song that was in the regular rotation, and since I've been at Pine Tree, uh, I've requested that song from Tony, uh, jokingly, but I told him earlier this week, you got to sing it this week because it actually fits the sermon, The Great Redeemer, and we're going to talk about a story of redemption this morning, and I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Ruth is in the Old Testament. Uh, if you ever have trouble finding where something is, especially in the Old Testament, sometimes I'll sing that song in my head, the Old Testament book songs, and then you get Joshua Judges Ruth. And as a kid, I used to always sing those together, so I would know Ruth comes after Judges, but I always thought, why does Joshua judge Ruth? Why is he judgmental of her? I know that's kind of corny, but that helps me remember where the book of Ruth is. So that's where we're picking up this morning. We've been in this study uh, really examining this name Emmanuel from Matthew chapter 1, which is kind of a tag along to the birth of Jesus. And what we're studying is what does God with us mean and how do we see God with us through the genealogy of Jesus and what do we learn from some of these Old Testament characters as we build up to the birth of Jesus. So Ruth is actually a Christmas story. A few years ago, the European lottery had a jackpot of 66 million euros. So I don't know if you know how to do the conversion, but that's a lot of money. It had rolled over for about six months, and there was this Italian man who was paying attention, never really did the lottery, but when the, the stakes were raised so high, he thought, okay, it won't hurt anything to just buy one lottery ticket. So he bought a lottery ticket, picked the numbers or however that works, and then the next day, when they revealed the winning numbers, his numbers were the ones that were picked. So he hit the jackpot. However, it was the same day that his daughter was getting married. So he was so focused on getting everything ready for the wedding ceremony, for being at the wedding, the celebration afterwards, that he forgot to redeem his ticket. Uh, and then a few days later, when he remembered, he went to redeem the ticket, and they told him, sorry, it's too late, you missed your opportunity. Now, when I first read that, I kind of laughed to myself because I thought, what a, what a terrible misfortune that's taken place. And then I read that he was hospitalized for a few weeks because of the mental trauma that it caused him. He failed to redeem his ticket. And as I think this morning about our topic of Ruth and the God who redeems, I've been looking at this word redeem and what does it mean? How do we use the word redeem or redemption or redeemer in our everyday language? How do we use it biblically? You know, what does this word mean? You could do a, a study on this word, and in the Old Testament, the word redeem uh, has to do with, uh, like, paying a ransom for a slave or a prisoner. You can redeem them in that way. Or maybe you want to buy back some land that once belonged to you or one of your family members. You can buy that land back, and you redeem it. We look at how God redeems the Israelites. He redeems them. Out of slavery in Egypt, God redeems the Israelites out of captivity in Babylon. So this word redeem, you know, it, it has multi-uses to it. A simplified way of defining the word redeem could just be to cash it in. In our language today, we say things like we need to redeem a coupon, or this guy failed to redeem his lottery ticket. So we just take something that we have and we redeem it. We cash it in and we take whatever prize or whatever it is that belongs to us, or we can buy it back. 
To redeem something means to buy it back. Maybe it was something that was once in your possession, and now you have to redeem it. You have to buy it back to bring it back into your possession. It may be a material possession, or maybe a piece of land, or maybe it's a person. And the story of Ruth, it's a person. So the story of Ruth is a redemption story. It's a story of someone who's redeemed. The story of Ruth is a story of an outsider becoming an insider. So I'm going to begin in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 1, and this verse will be on the PowerPoint, but the rest of them you're going to have to follow along. So let's start where the author starts. And the days when the judges ruled, so you can read the book of Judges and get, a, get the context there, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So during the days where the judges ruled, it's like he's saying there was ordinary people doing ordinary things in faithful ways. And here's one of those ordinary stories. There's a man, and we're going to find out his name is Elimelech. It sounds like it's a story about Elimelech. He has a wife named Naomi, and they have two sons, Malon and Chilion. Really great names. We always see that throughout the Old Testament. There's a famine. They live in Bethlehem. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so immediately we're kind of drawing some connections and some parallels here to the Jesus story, but there's a famine. We live in the land of plenty, so we don't really know what experiencing a famine would be like, but maybe you've seen the pictures of people who are starving, and you get an idea of what a famine is like, and so because of that, they decide to move to Moab. Well, I'm not going to give you a whole history on the Moabites, but the Moabites and the Israelites were not friends. They were enemies, and Moabites were not allowed into the assembly of worship. You know, you're not supposed to marry Moabite women. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things. That's not your, your primary destination place, but desperate times call for desperate measures. So Elimelech says, we've got to get out of this famine, and let's move to Moab. So they do. And then in verses 2 through 5, the story changes quickly. We start with Elimelech, and they're living there in Moab, and then all of a sudden we're told in verse 3, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. So now she's left as a widow, but she still has her two sons. So Malon and Chilion are going to marry two Moabite women for 10 years, Ruth and Orpah. And then, we're told in verse 5, both Malon and Chilion also die. So that the woman was left without her two sons and without her husband. You see, they left Bethlehem because of a famine. They leave death where people are dying because of starvation, only to find more death. This is a rough story. Right away, five verses into it, and we have this woman named Naomi, and she has suffered a great deal. Right? Some compare Naomi to Job. Some say she is the female Job. You know the story of Job? He loses everything. Well, Naomi, because of a famine, goes to Moab, the enemy people, and then she loses everything. All she has left, really, is her two daughters-in-law, but they don't have any kids, so there's no grandkids. There's nothing keeping her in Moab. And then in verse 6, we're told that things have changed back home. The, there's no longer a famine, there's food there again, so it's time for her to cut her losses and to go back to Bethlehem. That's her plan. All right, Everything's changed, but she needs to just go home. So in the next few verses in chapter 1, she tells Orpah and Ruth 
you go back to your family in Moab. There's no sense in you following me as to become a foreigner in Bethlehem. Just stay here. Start your life over. We have no grandkids. I have no more children for you to marry. There's nothing to tie us together. And so three times she tells them, go back. And then finally we're told around verse 13 and 14 that Orpah agrees. Now, it's a sad parting. They cry, they weep together, they kiss each other, but Orpah goes home. But it says that Ruth clung to her. Her other daughter-in-law, Ruth, is not willing to go back home. A few years ago, I was in a wedding. I had a good friend of mine was getting married. I was a groomsman. And about an hour before the wedding, they took uh, the groom and all the groomsmen aside. We went to this other room, and they were taking pictures And as we were taking pictures, you know, we were cutting up, having a good time. Uh, One of the bridesmaids walked up. And so that's kind of odd. You know, what's a girl doing in the men's locker room, basically? And she hands the groom a letter from his bride. So he stepped aside to read the letter. And we're over here still joking around, taking pictures, doing whatever. And we looked over, and he's reading this letter, and he's crying. So we paused. We were silent. We were giving him his moment But after enough silence went by, I thought, wait a minute. He's reading a letter from the girl he's about to marry, and he's crying. And the pessimistic side of me thought, what if this is not a good thing? So I I broke the silence, and I said, are those good tears or bad tears? You know, is that a breakup letter? And then thankfully it wasn't. It was a letter from his bride, and he read it to us, and she said, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and I will be buried there with you. So she intentionally, strategically sent this letter to him right before the ceremony as another sign of her commitment to him. These are the words that Ruth says to Naomi in chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. She's not going to leave. She's going to go with Naomi, and where you go, I will go. Your land will be my land Your God will be my God. We're going to die together. She is willing to be with Ruth and to go with her. I mean, Ruth is willing to be with Naomi and to go with her no matter what it takes. And what I see in this, in this commitment right here in verse 16 and 17, is you get a small glimpse of God with us. Think about Jesus becoming a human being. Think about that commitment that Jesus makes to us saying that I will be with you. And the great links that Jesus goes to be with us. So I think we see a little bit of that glimpse in Ruth's commitment to Naomi, but we also see a conversion story. She says, your God will be my God. She's a Moabite, and the author of the book of Ruth reminds us over and over that she is a Moabite. They worship the god Chemosh, and so she had her own rituals and her own religion, but here she's saying, your God will be my God. So this is a conversion story, and I don't think it happens right away. I think this is a long period of her being with Naomi and seeing Naomi's behavior, seeing how Naomi has handled everything, and she is saying, I want your God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to also be my God. So she comes in as a foreigner, as an outsider, saying, I want to worship Yahweh, I want to learn the Psalms, I want to obey the Torah and celebrate the Jewish festivals. You know, this is what she is going to become. But both women are extremely vulnerable. They're going to travel from Moab back to Bethlehem, and you have women who are widows with no men to protect them in this ancient world. 
and then they go home. So in verse 19, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Some translations say all the gossips, all the town gossips. So the women are sitting there saying, could this be Naomi? Does she look different? Well, it's been well over a decade. It's been many years. Maybe she does look different. But I think what looks different about her is who's missing. She left with a husband and two sons, and she comes back with a widowed daughter-in-law. She left three graves in Moab, and they're all seeing this for the first time. This was before social media. This is before Facebook. So they probably don't know about this. They're, all, they're finding out about Elimelech and Melon and Chilion, their death there. And so Naomi said to them in verse 20, Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So you can see the great state of suffering that she is in. Her name, Naomi, means pleasant, but she says, from now on, call me Mara, which means bitter. She's saying, just call me bitter because that is how the Lord has treated me. Now, if you pay attention in the book of Ruth, they keep calling her Naomi. They don't go with her request to call her bitter. They keep calling her by her name, and the author calls her Naomi as well. But she said, I went away full, but I came back empty, meaning she's lost everything, which Ruth is with her, so Ruth may be thinking, all right, that stings a little bit because you're not completely empty. I'm with you, but I think Ruth gets the point. All right, so that's a big story there. That's a lot to digest. That's a lot of years that go by, and then you get to chapter 2, and we're introduced to this new character. Now, Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man, the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Another cool name. You know, Boaz enters the story here. A rich man, and he just happens to be related to Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. So he enters the story, and then Ruth, in verse 2, she's like, you know, i got to do something. Let me go out there and just pick some grain. You know, it's a barley harvest. And so Naomi says, go for it. And then we get to verse 3. It says, so she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So the Bible says, as it happened, or some of your versions say, she happened to go to the field of Boaz. Is that a coincidence, or was that God's hand guiding the story along? Ruth and Naomi had no idea that they were part of this eternal plan, and you'll see through the genealogy how God was working through all this. She just happened to go to the right field. She goes to the field that belongs to Boaz, and then Boaz pays attention to Ruth in chapter 2. He, he greets her. He introduces himself to her. He tells the men to take care of her, to not to lay a hand on her. He tells the women to make sure that they work with Ruth. And then we're told in verse 11 that the reason that Boaz is so interested in Ruth was because he has seen her commitment to Naomi, and he was impressed by it. So he was drawn towards her because of it. So she goes home and she tells Naomi all about it. And then in verse 20, Naomi's hearing this. She's responding. In the end of verse 20, she says, The man is a relative of ours. And in the NRSV it says, 
our nearest kin. Or some of your versions say, our guardian redeemer. Or our kinsman redeemer. So Naomi's excited because she says, I know Boaz. He is our redeemer. And your guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer is a legal term referring to one of the nearest relatives who has the obligation to redeem a relative in distress. So she's saying he is one of our guardian redeemers. That means he's going to help us out. Because we've come back as widows, Boaz may just step into the story. He's already paying attention to you. Maybe he'll help us out. So then you get to chapter 3. And there's this strange marriage proposal, not on the end of Boaz, but on the end of Ruth. And Naomi puts her up to it. It's like she gets her all dolled up and ready to go and says, go lay at the feet feet of his bed. And it happens. I think Boaz handles himself honorably, but basically what he tells Ruth is, I will redeem you. I will marry you. I will carry the family name through you. But he says, but there is a kinsman, a family member, a relative who is closer than I am. And so legally, it's his right. So to do the right thing, let's give him the option first. So then you get to chapter 4, and we're already at the end of the book. In chapter 4, Boaz goes to the city gate. He gets the men of the city. He gets this near relative, and he says, okay, here's the deal. It's legally yours to redeem Elimelech's family, to redeem this land. And he gives him the option. And we're told in verse Four, that this guy, hearing this in the presence of everybody there, he says, I will redeem it. I will do it. I'll take it. And so in verse 5, Boaz says, okay, by the way, make sure you read the small print in the contract because Ruth comes with it. Ruth the Moabite, and you have to marry her, and you have to have children with her. And then all of a sudden in verse 6, he says, uh, never mind, I can't redeem it anymore. I changed my mind. Once the stipulations are raised a little bit, he's like, ah, you do it. You can do it. You seem interested in this. I don't think I want to take Ruth. And so Boaz does the honorable thing. He goes through the right channels. And now he's officially, legally, they exchange their sandals. He's given permission to become the redeemer, the guardian redeemer, For Naomi and for Ruth, for their land, for their inheritance, for their family name. And so Boaz marries Ruth, and he redeems her. And this is a small glimpse, I think, of the Jesus story, of the story of Emmanuel. Because in Matthew 1, when we're told this name, Emmanuel, God with us, This is God becoming our redeemer. This is God stepping into the story and saying, I will redeem all of humanity. As chapter 4 goes on, they're going to have a son in the city of Bethlehem. So again, you see this parallel. Okay, they have a son and they're going to name him Obed. Naomi gets to become a grandmother. She becomes his nurse. And then we get this little genealogy towards the end in verse 17. A son has been born to Naomi, which referring to her as the grandmother. They named him Obed because he, he became the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then the book of Ruth ends with this little genealogy. And that's how the book of Matthew begins. So you have Obed, the son of Ruth and Boaz. And he becomes the dad of Jesse who becomes the dad of David. 
And we know David, we know King David, you can read the Psalms, you can read First and Second Samuel, you can see David and his stories beginning with Goliath and how God worked through David. And then what Matthew does in Matthew chapter 1 is he traces the lineage of Jesus through King David, showing that Jesus has this royal blood in him. So in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5 and 6, the same names that are at the end of the book of Ruth are in Matthew's genealogy. And you have a name like Boaz and Ruth. And then you start to see she just happened to show up in the field that day. That was God working. God was bringing them together, all a part of a greater plan. But it's an outsider, a Moabite, who becomes a part of the plan. And she becomes an insider. Uh, this is a picture of a man named Maximilian Kolbe. He was held as a prisoner in a concentration camp in 1941. And in this concentration camp, it was the month of August, um, two prisoners escaped. Or at least they thought they escaped. They found the bodies later. They had drowned in a pond. But they thought they had escaped. And so the guards rounded up everybody together, all the prisoners, and as a warning to instill fear in the rest of the prisoners at this concentration camp, they decided to round up ten random people and kill them. And so they just picked people at random, and one of the men that they picked was a dad. And his son was with him there in the concentration camp. So the dad is crying out, please don't take me. You know, he's, he's, his son is being ripped out of his arms, and he's saying, my son needs me, please don't. And everybody's watching this including this man named Maximilian Kolbe. And so he says, you know what? Leave the dad, just take me instead. And everybody witnessed it this day. He stepped in place in the death march line, and the dad got to live and go back to the arms of his son. And that day, August 14, 1941, they killed Maximilian Kolbe. He stepped in. And he redeemed this dad from the death march. And he said, I will take his place. I'll do it. And in a way, that's a story of redemption. Just like Boaz says, I will step into the story. And I will redeem Ruth and Naomi. Jesus steps into the story. And he says, I will redeem them. This is Emmanuel, God with us. It's a story of a God who redeems. A God who still redeems, and it cost him his life. He said, I will redeem all of humanity, and it wound up dying on a cross. But that wasn't the end of our redemption story, because we believe the tomb was found empty three days later, and because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, he redeems all of us. He redeems us from our sins, and he invites us to receive this redemption through baptism. I think he not only redeems us from our sins, but he redeems us from a meaningless life. And he redeems us into a meaningful life through discipleship. And if you haven't met Jesus, the great Redeemer, we want to invite you to meet him. We have elders of this church who would be glad to introduce you to Jesus. If you don't know him or to talk to you about him, I'll be up front. And you can come and you can talk with us about who Jesus is and how to receive this redemption. Or if you need prayers, if there's something stirring within you or something heavy on your heart this morning, we just want you to know that this is an opportunity to respond. You will not be judged here. You will be welcomed and you will be loved. So let's stand and continue singing.